That's uh, to me that that's one of my favorite trailers of this year. The whole somewhere over the rainbow with the the big monsters fighting. So how many how many of you saw this movie? Wow, that same amount. As for, okay, like two of us have seen seen the movie. Same amount as as first service. I just want to let you know, just kind of save you some time and energy. If you've seen the trailer, then then you've seen. Uh, everything you need to see. Like, the, the trailer is so much better than the movie itself actually is, which pains me to say, to say that. And uh, this, uh, but that's our movie <laughs> for, the, for this morning. Let me read the IMDb description uh, for you. The cryptozoological agency Monarch, see this is how you know the movie's gonna be good when it starts off like that, faces off against a battery of God-sized monsters, including the mighty Godzilla, who collides with Mothra, Rodan and his ultimate nemesis, the three-headed King Ghidorah. And so I don't know if you're looking for a uh, career change or anything like that, but a cryptozoologist is someone who looks for things like the Loch Ness Monster and Bigfoot, you know, the real mythical creatures that, that exist. And obviously Godzilla is one of those. And so that's a real thing that you should, you should look into if you're looking for a career change for, for sure. Uh, now, here, here's the thing, and, and I want to this movie was just not a good movie, and and uh, but I want you to know, like there's a, there's a long history here for Godzilla. The first ever Godzilla actually started in 1954, and so that's what Godzilla looked like originally. And since that time, and, and actually you can uh, check out some footage on on YouTube, and the special effects I think are actually kind of impressive. Uh, but that that's the that's the first one. And since that time, there've been 29 Godzilla movies since then. I don't know if that blows your mind or not. It does kind of blow mind that, that there are that many movies based on, on this. And, and then the things that are connected to it, uh, to it as well that have spawned from this franchise. And if, if you aren't a particular fan of these kinds of movies, you might be wondering, like, what, what's the appeal here? Uh, you know, that movies about these big, dumb monsters that are destroying everything. And the answer is very simple, uh, because it has big, dumb monsters destroying everything. Uh, because you love to see big, or at least I do, huge monsters fight. And so, which pains me, like when I watch the movie and realize that hardly any of that actually happens in the movie. I mean, basically the trailer shows you all the big fights that happen, and that's all you need to see, which was pretty disappointing. Our you know, first hour of the movie is dialogue, and I want to see huge monsters fight. There's something about a nearly 400-foot-tall, irradiated, prehistoric, amphibious reptile suplexing a three-headed dragon you know, that you, you just want to see. They're massive, uh, but it doesn't uh, happen very often. There are some other fights, though, that happen in the movie. One, and obviously I'm going to spoil the movie for you, so I apologize in advance since literally none of you have seen it, but I'm pretty sure none of you are going to see it. Yeah, afterwards, exactly. Um, early on in the film, we're introduced to the scientist, Dr. Emma Russell, and she is uh, trying to make sense of the death of her son, Andrew, who died in the Godzilla film in 2014. So Warner Brothers are starting this MonsterVerse series. And so uh, in that first Godzilla encounter, her son dies during this big battle. And so what she does is she creates this device that uses a combination of animal sounds and frequencies to be able to communicate with these titans, these big monsters. And at first, She's using this device to soothe the monsters so everything's fine. You think, oh, everybody's going to be able to peacefully coexist in the world. But spoiler alert, she's actually partnered with a terrorist organization who is seeking to wipe out half the world's population. Um, she's essentially Thanos. 
And so this could be like one of the Marvel films, basically. And more on that next week. Uh, but instead of collecting these powerful stones, she wants to unleash monsters to reset the balance of living creatures on the earth. Now, this, I mean, the plot is full of holes. They don't do a good job at all telling the story. It's, it's horribly written, unfortunately. But there are some kind of poignant themes that come across in this movie, and particularly about this idea of these big monsters fighting and how we deal with the things that happen in our lives, the battles that we face. For example, the scientist mother turned terrorist, Dr. Russell, she's fighting with the guilt and grief over losing her son. And she's fighting with her pain and loss, and she's fighting with her desire for revenge and retribution. And unbeknownst to the rest of the world, because she's losing those fights with those issues and with the, that pain in her life, she has declared war on the entire planet. It's how 17 monsters who, I guess, were taking a nap, hibernating beforehand, start to roam the earth and destroying everything in their wake. And Ghidorah and friends get all the attention, and Godzilla joins the battle, but only a small portion of people know what caused all this to happen. And the thing that I think is so powerful of this idea is a lot of times, you know, the, the loud noises and the yelling and the explosions and all that kind of stuff, that gets all the attention, but, but that's not really the real battle that's going on. There's always something behind the battle that's really causing that to take place. When we see monsters fighting, it's important to remember there's usually another battle behind the scenes. And that battle behind the scenes is far deeper and far more complex than many times we often give attention to. So Paul identifies this in Ephesians chapter 6. He says this about the battles we face. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. One of the things, at least, that's true for me in my life is that it's very easy to forget, in the midst of a physical and emotional battle, that the spiritual fight is real. That's a real thing that happens. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it, it's against spiritual forces of darkness and evil that are happening at work behind the scenes. There's a lot of conflict in the world. I don't know if you've noticed that and have experienced that in your life. And learning how to navigate it in a godly way begins with knowing where the conflict comes from. There are endless opportunities for conflict. We're, in a, we're coming up on an election cycle. I don't know if you've heard about that or, or know about that. There are going to be a lot of opportunities for conflict. Some of, these con <laughs> some of these conflicts are real. Some of them are just in our heads. Some of them are socially engineered. Some of them are consequences of circumstances that we have simply no control over. You take Dr. Russell, her conflict comes from the tragic death of her son, something perfectly reasonable to be upset and angry about. However, her response, the destruction of half of everyone in the world, isn't going to be the thing that helps to resolve her pain and her grief in her life. Um, I, I shared this in first service and didn't ask permission from a wife to do it, so I, I might as well do it again. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I started an argument with my wife, and it was very one-sided. I was upset with something. She was not. She hadn't done anything wrong, but I was the one, you know, being a jerk. And so, I, is that okay for me to share? I know none of you do anything like that in your life. Right? Apparently not, because nobody laughed. Either that or it was very uncomfortable for us, but that's okay, because I will share my uncomfortableness with you. 
just hold it inside, bury it deep, right? Um, so, so we're having this argument. It took me uh, longer than it should have to realize that my whole thing, the reason why I was arguing with her, like I said, it was one-sided. She wouldn't do anything wrong and had no reason for me to be upset, um, was over something completely different. It's something that happened and I had no ability or agency to be able to resolve that happened a week earlier and had nothing to do with her. And yet I was taking the ad on her. It wasn't until I took the time to self-evaluate why I was doing what I was doing, why I was engaging the behavior that I was doing, that I was able to recognize, oh man, there's, there, there are some deeper implications of things that are going on here in my life. And what I'm doing is I'm actually taking out something else that I haven't dealt with properly on a spiritual level I'm, that's coming out in this physical and emotional level with, with this person that, whom I dearly love. And, and I don't know if that, you can relate to that. I, I think if you're thoughtful about those types of things in your life, I think all of us should be able to relate to moments like that where we realize, man, there's something deeper going on here that's causing me to act out in these, in these ways. Uh, but, you know, I want you to think about all the conflict that you see or experience on any given day or think about the opportunities for the conflict. You might fight with your family, your significant other, uh, your neighbor, a stranger on the internet, a coworker, and and the the problem becomes is that we have so many opportunities to come up with these petty conflicts that really don't matter in the long run. That we're exhausted, too exhausted to face the real battles that matter when they come up. Uh, Proverbs chapter twenty verse three says, "It is to one's honor to avoid stra- strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel." And don't elbow the person next to you quickly. And don't text this out to somebody, because Jesus also says later in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. When we waste our time fighting against flesh and blood, we're missing the point. Often a phrase there being wasting our time. There are certainly things that are worth fighting for. The problem is, is that the enemy wants us to be exhausted on the things that aren't worth fighting for, so we don't have the energy and strength for the battle that does matter. There's a whole different battle going on, one that deserves our attention. The spiritual fight is often ignored. It's, it's something that we don't think about primarily. It's not our first response. First response might be dealing with the thing that's in front of our face rather than behind the thing. And in, Paul, in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul is peeling back the curtain behind the visible world and showing us what's going on behind the scenes. In the book of Revelation is a popular uh, thing to look at. It's often one of the most misunderstood and misrepresented books in the whole, whole Bible because of the type of language that it use, uses. It uses a lot of po- apocalyptic imagery. Um, and it's peeling back that curtain to reveal to us the reality that we deal with in the spiritual realm. It reveals the truth of the unseen reality that directs the world around us. It uses vivid imagery and deep metaphor to reveal the spiritual realities behind the political and the social and the economic and religious pressures that we face and will continue to face in our lives. And so, for example, it shouldn't surprise us in Revelation chapter 12 when Satan, when the evil one, the enemy, is described as a seven-headed red dragon. You know, you've got this crazy imagery because that's... It's the stuff of our nightmares. These spiritual monsters are real, and they cause real damage in our lives, depending on how we, how we handle them. Behind, behind every fight we see, experience, and participate in, there are spiritual realities at play. And while you and I might be quick to jump, at least I am uh, too often, we're quick to jump into flesh and blood fights, the spiritual fight is either avoided or ignored, or maybe we're just not aware of what's going on. Jesus' brother James wrote this. 
James chapter 1. He says, my, bro- my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And so I'm just curious, like, what, what would our lives look like? What, if, what would happen if Christians refused to get caught up in the flash and the pain anger of flesh and blood battles and refocus our energies on the spiritual ones? Because there are certainly physical implications from the spiritual battles we face. I mean, they affect us physically, emotionally, mentally. Throughout Scripture, you're going to find that there are actions and attitudes that we ought to be for or against. There are things worth fighting for. And whether we know it at the time or not, those for or against actions and attitudes are meant for us. They're given to us by God so that we can be ready and equipped and successful in the spiritual skirmishes that we face. In Godzilla, Dr. Russell is dealing with her grief, the pain of a significant loss, and she's not handling it well at all. And it starts a fight that spans the world. And so when we fight a losing battle against our own anger and our lust and our jealousy and our pride and our greed and our selfishness, our materialism, our worry, we could keep going, the list goes on, it can turn into a fight that threatens to consume our world. And so I think there are a couple things that we need to ask ourselves, kind of take some time to self-evaluate when we're dealing with those fights in our lives. The first one is this, what unnecessary fights do I need to end or walk away from? Are there things in my life, are there petty arguments, are there petty things, things that don't matter in the scope of eternity, what, who God has called me to be, are the things that don't matter in my life that I'm wasting time and energy on that I need for the fights that do matter? Because the second question is this, what spiritual battles have I been avoiding and need to walk toward? This is, this is the divine and conquer approach of the enemy, like I mentioned earlier, is that he wants us to be exhausted on things that don't matter so we're not prepared and strong for the things that do matter. Ephesians chapter 6 reminds us that no matter how much we try to ignore or avoid it, the spiritual fight is real. But the other thing that Paul wants us to know and to be confident in is that Jesus also has already won the war. In Mark chapter 3, for example, Jesus is confronted with this group of religious leaders and they're coming up to him and part of Jesus' ministry was exercising demons from people. All right, so very real in your face experience of the spiritual battle being real. And they come up to him and they say, well, the only reason you're doing this is because you're in league with Satan. That's what they say. And Jesus is saying, well, that's absurd. This is the whole like, idea of house being divided itself against itself can't stand. And Jesus says, and he uses this analogy, he says, when you go into a house, the house of the strong man, you don't do anything until you've bound up the strong man. And essentially what he's saying is Jesus has already tied up all of the evil, oppressive, and demonic powers. And with all the monsters unleashed on mankind and all the destruction they cause, it can all be overwhelming, and yet Jesus has victory over them all. And so Ephesians chapter 6, Paul writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. In verse 13, he writes, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. So I just want to encourage you to follow the progression of thought here from Paul is that we can face our battles from a position of strength because Jesus has already won the war. And when we face our battles with the actions and attitudes with which God equips us, not only will we be able to face the battle after the dust settles, we'll still be standing. And so there are 
there are a couple really important truths that bear out from this. The first one is this, is that it's Jesus' strength that wins, not mine. And it's, that it's God's armor that overcomes, not mine. I know for me, every time that I try to rely on my own strength, every time I try to rely on the own walls that I've built up in my life to try to protect myself, that does not lead to the life that God wants me to be able to enjoy and experience with those around me. It doesn't protect me nearly as much as is relying on the strength of Jesus and the protection that only God can provide. It doesn't mean that we won't struggle or suffer. Things will get bloody. There will be scars. There will be casualties. But it does mean that when we are following Jesus, we have sided with the one who's able to win the fight. So one of the things that's interesting about the mythology of Godzilla is that Godzilla, yes, is this irradiated prehistoric amphibious reptile. And people who study mythology Literature and film also often like to classify types of monsters, and Godzilla is a natural monster. And I know this sounds like I'm making something not real, really important, but stick with me here. Godzilla is prehistoric, and so he's not created by nuclear weapons. He's simply awakened and empowered by them. And so the decisions by people to unleash devastation on each other is what brings back Godzilla and the other titans. And so in the mythology of Godzilla, the monsters aren't just naturally existing threats to our existence. They are the natural consequences of our decisions to fight each other. And so the fear of our past coming back to haunt us and our mistakes finding us out is real. Fear, pain, guilt, and brokenness, they can be devastating. The natural consequences of our poor decision-making and the choices of others are running loose in the streets, they're knocking over buildings, they're destroying everything. And in the midst of that, we can trust Jesus' strength because we know and we're encouraged by the fact that Jesus has already won. The difference is, and to me, this is just as important as knowing that Jesus has won is how he won the victory, is that unlike Godzilla, Jesus didn't win by out-monstering the monsters. He won through love and sacrifice. My favorite chapter of the Bible is Philippians chapter 2. And Paul explains what Jesus does for us uh, very concisely and very clearly with his love and sacrifice. In chapter 2, verse 8. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledged that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus was and is and continue, will continue to be the king. And his self-sacrificing death from a place of love shows us the type of king that he is. Godzilla uh, ends with Dr. Russell having some redemption coming to terms with her mistakes and submitting to Godzilla's inevitable victory. And as she faces her death, she simply says this phrase. She just says, long live the king. And in the midst of the spiritual battles that we face, the things that we don't see a way through, uh, maybe we're in the place of our lowest of lows, our deepest pain, suffering and grief and loss. 
the thing that we know that we can hang on to and have faith and hope in as Christ followers is simply to acknowledge that regardless of what we might be facing in that moment, Jesus is still king and he still lives. And so finally, Ephesians 6, verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. One of the things that I know is true is that every single person in this room is facing some sort of battle, some sort of fight. Might not be the biggest one that you've ever faced in your life, but you're, you're facing something. And I know for a fact that everybody else that you're connected to in your life, they're facing one as well. And so one of the things that I want to encourage us to do as Christ followers is to think through and evaluate what monster is keeping us from completely trusting God and standing firm. Because it can be defeated. Jesus has won the victory. And when we recognize that and we see that and we follow through with the actions and attitudes that God has established for us to feel and experience that victory in our lives, then we're ready to stand up and stand firm with those people who need us to walk through and face their battles and their monsters as well. That's some of the joy and encouragement that we experience in knowing that Jesus has already won the victory. When we start with the spiritual the material can be faced knowing that the king has already been victorious. And so one of the ways that we celebrate this, and we do this every week at Velocity, is as we take communion together, we recognize not only that Jesus has won the victory, but we also recognize and identify and celebrate how he won the victory, and that he did that through love and self-sacrifice. That he stood firm for us in our place so that we could celebrate this victory in our lives. And so as we take this little bit of bread and a little bit of juice uh, together this morning as we take communion, um, I, I just, I, I'm asking, I'm hoping for you to be encouraged by the reminder that Jesus, Jesus has already taken care of the victory in our lives. Let's pray. God, um, I know sometimes it's easier to read this in scripture and to talk about it than it is to feel it and experience in our lives. I ask that through the Holy Spirit, you would help us to see more clearly um, through the things that we deal with, uh, through the things that seek to distract us, the petty things maybe that uh, take away our energy, that you, would, uh, that you would empower us through your Holy Spirit to um, see your victory in the battles that we face. God, we praise you for uh, this, this truth, this hope that we can cling to and hold on to as part of our faith. God, we ask that you show us uh, the opportunities to experience that victory in our lives and share it with others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.